That song reminds me of a situation that took place in, my, in our family some years ago when our kids were young. Uh, we were in the house and all of a sudden one of our children rushes in and says, I think we need an adult out here. And that led us to understand the role that orthopedics plays in your life. Uh, we took our, one of our daughters to the doctor, and he had to readjust a bone and a leg and put a cast on that, and we were exposed to that wonderful world of correction uh, in, in regard to the word ortho. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at that same concept in Titus. Because the Greek word that is used in Titus is similar to that which Paul used with Timothy when he talks about that the Bible is profitable for correction. And so we're going to look at some things in regard to correction that Titus has been given as a responsibility from Paul to make sure takes place in Crete. If you would, turn your Bible to Titus. Uh, chapter 1, and I'll read for us the portion that we will be covering this morning. Uh, It begins in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. That's the ortho, okay? And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery, or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Father, as uh, I have just read over these things and how humbling it is to read these things that are expected of us as those who are in charge to lead others to you. And Father, uh, it's, it's uh, very convicting of the times in which we uh, navigate this life and find that we may fall short at times uh, of these things that are given to Titus to look for in men that would be critical to the pursuit of godliness in the lives of those in Crete. Father, as this church is in the process of calling a a senior pastor to come in and be the lead pastor to lead them towards godliness, that that which we discuss today, that which we are uh, tasked with this morning in regard to what is found in these few verses, that it may not be just a checklist to think of what should be in the life of a pastor, but that it also might be a reminder of why we need pastors and what role they play in helping us pursue godliness. That that which we would anticipate and expect in them is primarily so that they can be instrumental to help us become that. And so God, as we, we look at this portion of Scripture, that as I desire to share it in such a way that makes it understandable and applicable, but that it might be approached with mercy and approached with peace 
and approached with grace and that we might look at it not as a way of being judgmental of others, but of hope, of desiring to see that which we see in another person, to believe that they are capable of helping us in our weaknesses as well. And we pray for your help in this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. A godly pursuit, uh, setting in order those things that need to be set in order. As I've noted in my introduction, the word that set in order is that same word we use for things like uh, orthopedic or orthodontist in that there's something that needs to be corrected, something that needs to be made straight. And Paul is giving Titus, in this particular situation, some important information to know that there are going to be some things that are going to be made straight, but that there's also an important uh, realization that something will come alongside to help maintain that. The doctor could have taken our daughter's leg and just simply moved it, to where the bones aligned and sent us home. But instead, he took and put a cast around that leg so that it wouldn't move, so that it continued to heal because it was necessary not only to have a correction, but to have something in place to ensure that that correction would continue on. And I believe that's what Paul is calling Titus to do as we look at this passage. Look with me, if you would, at this first portion here in verse 5. I call this a reproducible process that Paul has said, I have directed you, Titus, and that concept of being directed is arranged thoroughly. That Paul had worked together with Titus, not only just to come up with a plan to say, okay, this is what we need to do for Crete, and you go in and do that. I believe it was far more than that. I believe that as Paul was taking this child of the faith and making it to where his life was now being placed into Titus's life, it was all a part of a bigger plan. A bigger plan to ensure that which is being taught is being transferred in other areas. Similarly, Paul says to Timothy, the things that you have heard commit to faithful men so they might be able to commit to others. And I do not think that that was just merely some information. I don't think it was just like, you get the information from me and you pass it along to the others so that they will know. If I could remind you a little bit of what, uh, uh, what is stated in our last week's message, earlier on in the passage in chapter uh, 1, where he's, he says that in faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness or leads to godliness, that the point of Paul working in the light of Titus was to help him not only to have a faith in Christ, but to have a knowledge of that relationship and all the things that are, are important in, in godliness, and so it could produce the godliness. Titus is taxed with this idea of coming back and to put into order that which remained. It would be tempting to think that all he needed to do is put some structures in there and just make sure they did this and that. We want to make sure they get a church constitution and bylaws, you know, something along that line, or that they have uh, something that they would sign to show that they're going to be good Sunday school teachers or along those lines. And I don't know if he did anything like that, but I do know this, that he put in order by making sure that they had elders that were appointed. 
And if you look at this, the second point under there is not only is there a reproducible process, that Paul wanted Titus to come in and set them up with something that would not only give them elders, but that would model for the elders how they lead other leaders in the church and establish those that are going to be uh, disciple makers, if you would, so that they could continue the process and so that it wouldn't just stop with the Apostle Paul. It wouldn't just stop with Titus, that it would continue on. Because as you look at this, as you, as you consider what is being said here from this perspective, uh, he says that uh, that remains in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed. Now, as I looked at this, uh, I was drawn to the realization that this is not the first place where Paul uh, is involved with the appointing of elders. Uh, if you were to look back in Acts chapter 14, a wonderful passage where Paul is just going through so many experiences with, with Barnabas. And they come into the place called Iconium and they uh, get to Lystra. And while they're in Lystra, they, they have this experience where uh, they, uh, they, they find this man sitting who could not use his feet and he was crippled from birth and never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intent at him, and seeing that he had faith he, to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. This healing process really created quite a riot that, uh, it, that had people coming out thinking that uh, Paul and Barnabas were gods, and all this stuff goes through. But what ends up happening is Jewish people come in, and they stir up trouble, uh, and look at verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. That's what happens in Lystra, until you see this portion here. Okay, that after, and I, this is what, the reason I gave you the setup on this is because I'm just amazed at the tenacity of Paul. You know, if I were to go someplace... And they got angry enough with me to beat me up and leave me for dead. I might be a little hesitant to go back there. You know? I mean, tough crowd, right? But Paul had such a belief that it was important not just to spread the seed, not just to see people come to faith, not just to give them knowledge, but to put something in place that would allow that knowledge to pursue godliness. And what did he do? He says that they uh, returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, yes, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That was part of Paul's habit, was to put in place elders, those that would be the linchpin to ensure that the faith continues on, that knowledge continues on, and that that pursuit of godliness is taking place. And so Paul did that with Barnabas. I believe he did it with Titus. And when he talks about those things that uh, we have lined up together or that we put together, I want you to reproduce those on the island of Crete and the different cities that are there. Uh, this is what he's talking about, that you come in and make sure there are these godly leaders that are going to impact those who have had faith, that have knowledge, so that they would go on to continuing the godliness. I like what Peter does because there's some concern as to what does this word elder mean. 
There have been some uh, religious groups that have decided to create some kind of hierarchy which would have bishops and elders and, and pastors and, and such to fulfill certain uh, aspects in those positions. But if you look through the New Testament, you will see that these words are somewhat used interchangeably. So when Paul is talking about the elders, he's talking about, uh, I would just say, pastors. And so here's where Peter is, is talking Uh, and his letter, and he's given some encouragement to the other elders. He called himself an elder. He says, I exhort you, uh, exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. And he skips on down here, and he uses the word shepherd the flock of God. That's the same word we use for like pastor, okay? Uh, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. That's the same word used for bishop. Okay, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. Again, another aspect of what a a shepherd is to be, that you want someone who is going to provide a great example that can be followed. Paul said that to Timothy, you have seen my life and uh, you should Follow my life. He writes in the book of Philippians chapter 4. When you're pursuing peace, look at those things that not only have you been taught, but the things you've seen and the things you've experienced, the things you're essentially uh, essentially, uh, following in, in those that have provided that direction. And he goes on to say this, examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So, Peter gives us some great ideas on what you should look for in a pastor, but he also helps us understand that when you look through the Bible and you're trying to understand what kind of uh, uh, perspectives or roles or characteristics of a pastor, that there are words that are used interchangeably for it, and those things come into play in, in regard to that. Let me just give a summary in, in regard to this. Uh, he says, a gift, I, I, you know, Paul also in Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 11 talks about how that a gift was given to the church. He's given to them the pastor teachers, and you probably have heard this before, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. That God has given to us those that would come in and equip us for the work of the ministry. He calls those pastor teacher or shepherd teacher, depending upon the version that you have. And as we just kind of break this down so that we can see this all together, When Paul is talking to Titus, we want you to go in and not only set things in order, make sure you have pastors to help the church pursue godliness. And you see see these items here as the elder, kind of the teacher, mentor, reproducer. Very important in that culture, uh, the time in which Paul is writing, this is an island group. And it wasn't unusual for them to have some clan type of uh, relationships so that there would be probably one person in that, er- in that family or clan that was the one they looked up to that would provide that uh, uh, teaching or mentoring. And then you look at the word overseer, that superintending, watches. First uh, Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7, uh, Paul uses the word overseer. Uh, rather than elder, as he's talking with Timmy, the, about the same type of characteristics. And then also, you'll look in this passage, you'll see as we work through it, 
he starts talking about the characteristic of pastor when he talks about elders. Then he starts talking about overseers in the same passage. But then Hebrews 13, 17, where the author of Hebrews is exhorting those to follow those or obey those that have lead over your souls. Those that are teaching and such, and it uses the word, uh, they watch over. It's a sleepless watching. It's actually got the word sleeping and the word A in front of it, which is a negative. They're not sleeping. It's that type of responsibility that the, uh, the oversight to look and watch and to help protect and help pursue godliness. And I put on there as people, not programs. The whole purpose of oversight is not to ensure certain things happen a certain way. It's to ensure people become more like Jesus. And people are able to not only become like Jesus, but able, able to help others become like Jesus. So the first element is having that set in order in the church. That the church might have those things and those people that are going to help it move in the, the right direction. Uh, the first area that I consider on here as we look at verse 6 is that Paul's talking about the family. And it's interesting that uh, he would start out with the family when he's talking about above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. The family is a great place to learn, and it's a good place to be able to see what a person is all about. Uh, you, it is like a pressure cooker. I'll say from my own experience, there were a lot of relationships I could couch, couch when I was growing up and uh, going off to Bible college and had roommates or worked at some place. But I found that there's not an institution or an environment that truly tests me and truly works on my heart than being a husband or being a dad. Those things taught me how selfish I really am. I was able to see things about myself that I wouldn't have been able to see without that kind of influence. And I would say, when Paul is talking to Titus, that encouraging him to look at the life of the, uh, the potential elder, to look at his family and to see what his family looks like. And the word, husband of one wife, you may have heard, is the one woman kind of man. Uh, you could say that it's a good uh, instruction not to be polygamous, and I would say... For my perspective, having one wife is good enough. Anybody else? Uh, so I would, I would understand that. Uh, you could say it has something to do with the, uh, the divorce and remarriage issue, and that certainly comes into play somewhere uh, in regard to looking at a pastor, no doubt. But what about a one-woman man? What is it about that that we should be concerned about uh, as we look at this situation? I wanted to look at it this way. If Ephesians chapter 5 encourages us to be reminded of what's in Genesis about we become one flesh when we get married, would that be something that would be good for us as believers is to have a model to show us what it's like 
to be one flesh with someone else, to be oneness, the, the fact that there is a love and there is a desire to uh, invest your life in this person and that they be, you know, the, the Bible talks about being yoked together. Uh, the, the idea that, that marriage is that permanent relationship, that that is that oneness, that relationship that God has said is the picture of Christ in the church. So it's a critical element to look at in regard to how is a pastor doing with that? And is this a pastor that can help me do this? This is what I want you to look through. When you look at above reproach, the value of someone being above reproach, that means not accusable in this area, is it someone that I can look to and say, if I were to have a relationship with someone else, I would like it to be like what they have, right? I mean, you can use it as just a check mark and say, What's their family like? Oh, it's okay. They're not going to embarrass us or do something crazy. But the question is, are they someone that has put in practice what Ephesians chapter 5 says, what 1 Peter chapter 3 says about the, the importance of investing in your spouse so that you can see that, not just to judge them, hopefully not, but to say, that's what I want to become. That's what I want to see in my family. That's what I want to see my kids experience as they grow up in this church. Uh, the emphasis of the importance of that example before us. The second thing that emphasizes there is just the discipling of the children. Now, something to take into consideration, Titus was probably written about 64 AD. Uh, we don't know for sure when Paul might have come through there or if he was a part of the evangelization of, of Crete or not. We have one time in which he was in that area, and that was only like five years before this time. So possibly they could have started evangelism there before that time, but as you would see, everybody there would pretty much be first-generation Christians, or the evangelism that's taking place is a, a father in a situation or a mother in a situation, obviously, to share the gospel with their own kids and seeing their kids come to know Christ, not through the, the cradle, obviously, but maybe even as young adults or in that, in that stage of life. That is that pastor discipling his children? Is, is it something that is evident? Of course, you know from Timothy, it's about having them in gravity. Is, he, is his home in gravity? Is he parenting well? I like to look at Ephesians 6.4 where it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that we are given that responsibility of taking that which we know and imparting it to our children. And so that they would do that. And that's what we would want. We would want to see a pastor that would help uh, reinforce that. I worked several times as an associate pastor in charge of the youth. And I'll tell you this, it was always refreshing when the pastor modeled good parenting. That helped my job be easier as a youth pastor, as a pastor of family ministries. And I trust that even as you look at raising your children or encouraging your grandchildren, it's a great blessing to, be, to look at a pastor as being one that's a good example to follow in regard to that. So he can help us set our family in order. As you look at a pastor, a third thing I want to just highlight here is setting our character in order. I looked at all these different things. You've got five negatives 
and you essentially have six positives that are in these next two verses. And, and there are two lists. And as I look at the lists, and I, I'll tell you, lists are hard for me to really preach and get excited about, right? And so as I'm looking through this, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how does this all boil down, I try to figure out categories and all this. And what I, what I did, the thing that kind of really stood out to me is that this whole idea, again, is emphasized that it be above reproach. He says, an overseer, again, that's that different word, uh, elder, uh, as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, or drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain. Honestly, as I looked at some of those words, here's what I did. I put this visual in my mind, okay? Drunkard violence, okay? I'm thinking the bar's pretty low there, Okay? <laughs> I mean, you can't even play on a football team for this, right? Okay, so these are things that I look at this and I think a drunkard violent, and I'm, I'm trying to run this through my head and wondering, what does Titus have to work with while he's there in Crete? But, uh, th- but, I, but as I looked at that, I, I realized that Paul is giving some very quick things to give them uh, inference on that as to, to what to be concerned about, but would it not also be of concern if the person had other things that controlled their life? Maybe they were not controlled by drink, but maybe something else is controlling their life. Uh, and uh, maybe uh, their way of dealing with things isn't to punch someone out, but do they have other manipulative ways in which they try to get their way? And, and as I looked at these items, particularly, the next, next slide will have some, the rest of the first five. I, I'll just tell you front end, I saw them come up underneath the six positive ones. That's, that's how I reconciled them in my mind. That they, they're important, but they're most important to see in the positive, pass it on kind of character that we want to see. We don't want to just make sure people aren't drunk and beating up people, okay? We want more than that. We want to see godliness. And so it shouldn't be a low bar type of thing. And so the next, next one, as I looked at this, greedy, arrogant, and angry. Greedy, arrogant, and angry. Those are not necessarily good things either. But yet, they are things that creep into our lives that even as we look at churches and look at ourselves and we say, do we sometimes find ourselves being greedy or arrogant or angry? Uh, angry in the sense of sinful anger, quick to anger is what, the, what the, the Bible uses here. And as I thought through these, I, I looked at some other elements here. I, I looked at how that greedy seems to emphasize the things I want. Am I dissatisfied in life? Am I constantly complaining? Am I greedy not only for money, but am I greedy for comfort? Am I greedy for attention? Am I greedy for these various things? I'm not content in God. Do I want a pastor that will come into my life and model for me contentedness and, and how that I can uh, be not greedy. Or how about the word arrogant is all about I am. It's about me making sure people notice me. 
or that I get my way and I get to do things my way. And, and in some sense, greediness and arrogance and even angrier times become the acceptable sins in our churches. I see them crop up when I'm working with churches in conflict. I see them crop up, whether it's a, in an issue of, of leadership or in the congregation, because people are so concerned about what they want, who they are, and uh, what they deserve. And these things, Paul is telling Titus, take in consideration as you appoint an elder, as you put a pastor in a situation, are they going to reproduce bad habits or are they going to reproduce good habits? I wanted to put our time on the, the next aspect of cha chapter 1, verse 7, as he says this, an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. And then this is the last, this is verse 8. But hospitable, a lover of goods, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. I made six, you could probably make them into seven, different things that if I were to look at someone that could help me improve in my life based upon the characteristics that Paul is describing here, here's how it would look. And I just uh, lay them out here as, first of all, Paul says that this pastor needs to recognize that he is a steward. He must recognize that this is not his church. This is Christ's church. That the things that he has are, in a sense, on loan from God. And wouldn't that be great to reproduce in the church? Wouldn't it be great if we all had that same attitude to say this is Christ's church and we are working together to glorify Christ and that we see that we are indeed stewards, to be responsible, to take care of that which God has given to us. And so Paul emphasizes that, that importance of good stewardship and what a great part of having that reproduced in our life and how that would play out, how that would do. Uh, the second thing is that he says hospitable. Hospitable. That, that's kind of like the idea of, of not knowing strangers, of connecting with other people, caring. It's one thing to be friendly. I think we all should be friendly. But how much do we really reach into the lives of others? How much do we really care to connect with them? Hospitalness is not just simply, I am able to create a great meal. And I love the people who do that. Those of you out there that, that love to host and love to put together things, that's beautiful. And keep it up, all right? Uh, and and, and the, the, the idea, though, is it's not only in that context. We can be hospitable here as we come to church. It doesn't have to have food involved with it, right? That we can be encouraging to one another. That we don't forsake the assembling, but we're exhorting one another. We are reaching into the life. We're caring. We're curious about the lives of others. A third thing we would want a pastor to really teach us is to really love and pursue that which is good. To, to, to not just make uh, uh, choices in our life, but to have someone that shows before us that they make good choices. That, that are godly choices, that, that, it's, that's, that it's not just a, a good choice in that sense, but it's something that is even better, that, that gives us those ideas of priority. A fourth item that as I look at this, and he talks about the importance of self-control, 
It's a different word than what is used for discipline later on in the verse. But it deals with the, some, some translations are sober-minded. We are blessed to have an emphasis in our circles that we want to think biblically, all right? When we say think biblically, that means we try to approach this, the, uh, our systems, our, our experiences, etc., with a biblical foundation. That as we look at the 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that we know that this teaching is from God. We know that this, this Bible will tell us when we're off, how to get correct, the ortho, and how to continue on uh, in this area and the importance of moving in that area that God has given to us, you know, this pastors to help us not only to think biblically, but also that we might biblically think, all right? Now, I'm going to take some time to um, articulate a little bit on this. There are times we have the right answers. We know what the Bible says. But there are times when situations in life become so overwhelming that our emotions kick in and the way in which we respond, we know what the answer is, but our minds are focused on something else. We are so overwhelmed with the things that we can't control, the areas of our concern, that we are not taking care of the things that God has given us. to, And as a result, we do not Think on those things which are true and noble and just and pure and lovely. Those things are a good report. We do not bring our thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And when I think of this, this phrase here, self-controlled or, or sober thinking, it is not only to, to know what the Bible says about things, but to be able to bring my thoughts in alignment to where God is directing my thoughts, not my fears not my anger, not my emotions. Uh, the next item that is on the, in here is the uh, getting right with God and with others, the, the word just. Just how do we deal with others? Do we have someone that will teach us how to respond to others in a biblical fashion, models that, is able to work through situations of conflict in a way that we can see how we should work through situations with conflict that deals with stress in a way that allows us to see how we should deal with stress is able to set aside evaluate a situation and determine if I go down this path it will not help me financially but it's still right and it will be something that will honor Christ and it will uh, allow Christ to be lifted up even if I might be wronged as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 those are the types of things of being just in the situation. Also, holiness. Pursuing holiness, even when it's not convenient, maybe when it might be difficult. And then the final thing is just discipline. Of being able to see in the life of another person who has disciplined their life, whether it's in spiritual disciplines or in other areas of their life, the discipline that is there. Why? So that I can have that in my life as well. We will study, if God provides and allows, more in Titus about how this comes into play. 
you will see from Titus that it's not just uh, what I'm using here today, the, the mode of preaching that we convey the information and that you get the knowledge and that you become godly. You will see from the book of Titus that there is a life-on-life life type of application that takes place in regard to it, and God has given to us pastors for that purpose. Years ago, my mom decided that she wanted me to go to a dentist. And uh, she had done that from time to time. And uh, my, my teeth, I had more teeth, and I had bigger teeth than what my mouth could handle. Um, and uh, even though some might say I got a big mouth, but uh, she, she had them pull five permanent teeth trying to get them to work out. In order to do that, I now have an odd tooth in the bottom. So she sent me to a dentist I thought was a regular dentist, and it ended up being an orthodontist, okay? And I didn't know that until I got done with the appointment, and I realized the next thing that's happening is braces are being placed upon my teeth. Now, that would be one thing if you're 13. It's another when you're almost 18. And you're getting ready to go into your senior year, and you're getting ready to consider what senior picture is going to look like. And you're getting ready to consider uh, what it's like in that, that realm of college with braces and all that. And uh, so it was quite an ordeal. And uh, Marty met me with braces. I, we, we, I fortunately got them off before we got married. Uh, but uh, the thing that uh, they gave me after that was a retainer. And you might know what a retainer is. A retainer was designed that after the braces came off, they were designed to ensure that that which had been corrected would stay where they, where they should be. I did not have a good plan on how to care for my retainer. All right. And uh, it uh, was on our honeymoon that I was excited about uh, uh, putting together a nice little campfire but did not have a good plan for that either. And so I had to come up for something to put this fire in this nice fireplace in our cabin. And so I ran to the car and grabbed whatever I could find that was, could be uh, flammable. And there was this napkin, and I brought the napkin, and I stuck that in there, lit it up, and it had this really strange glow. And then once it was done glowing, I noticed this little wire that now looked familiar to me. And I had burnt up my retainer. It was for a good cause, but I burnt up my retainer <laughs> to set a romantic moment. Um, we were young, and I had this, this idea that it didn't really matter. It didn't really matter if I had the retainer. And so we did not buy a new retainer. And then it wasn't too long before the teeth started moving back to where they were. I believe that Titus was to put into place some things to help them not only correct, but to maintain. To maintain those areas. And I believe the pastor is designed to not only help us in the corrections of our areas, but to help us maintain that so we can reproduce it in others and to see it continue to happen more. The closing of our time together will be to go to something that should be very familiar to you. It's your church covenant. And I thought as we think about these characteristics, someone long before I came along thought through these things. And uh, if you are a member of this church, you probably you should have read this and committed to it. 
But I thought I'd close our time just reading this portion of our, our covenant here. It says, we engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to give it a sacred prominence over all institutions of human origin, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, the spread of the gospel through all nations. We also engage to consistently maintain family and personal devotion to biblically nourish and teach our children to seek the salvation of our family and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealing, to be above reproach in our engagements and exemplary in our deportment toward outsiders, to avoid all gossip, backbiting, and excessive anger, to commit ourselves to avoid being a stumbling block in any way to a brother or sister in Christ, and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and courtesy in speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. Father, as we, we consider where we are, and we are so desiring to see this church have their senior pastor to help them continue to move forward and to see godliness permeate their experience here. Father, they have a very high bar in regard to their church covenant, and it would be wise for them to choose a pastor that will help them attain that as they desire to commit to one another before you and a desire to be godly and desire to reproduce that godliness in the lives of others. And we thank you again for the privilege of sharing your word. I pray, Lord, that we will live it out as well, that we may not be just uh, hearers of the word or speakers of the word, but we might be doers of the word as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.